This is Sam Sports Podcast. I'm back today. I'm talking about a little bit of basketball. I wanted to discuss the Phoenix Suns firing Jeff Hornacek. So Phoenix Suns um, decision-making has been extremely questionable over the last couple of, I want to say the last couple of months, but also the last couple of seasons. They are definitely a franchise which is not the picture of uh, stability and, and and I'm going to just venture to say loyalty as well. They've had a lot of problems. So let's date back to a couple of seasons ago when they started playing well. And Jeff Hornacek, who, you know, great NBA player in his own right, was truly lauded as being an excellent coach for this Phoenix team. And now it's been a tough season. They just fired Jeff Hornacek. And this is only a month after they fired two of his key ass- uh, assistant coaches in an effort to sort of say, hey, this is an ultimatum to you, Jeff. You've got to get things turned around. If you don't get things turned around, we're going to fire you too. Now, one of the things which really hurt about this is that they took two of these guys away, uh, Mike uh, Longabardi and Jerry Sichting. Um, I actually just uh, uh, listened to Brian Windhorst talk about how as soon as one of these assistants got fired, the Cleveland Cavaliers scooped him up. So it put sort of Phoenix in a position where two of these um, – reputable assistant coaches were fired, uh, but there's not really a clear reason why. Um, Now we also need to go back to the people on the actual team itself and how the chemistry of the team kind of worked against Hornacek because I think, and now the pundits are all, I think, going to agree with me here, one of the key things that started this whole process is a couple of seasons ago, the Phoenix Suns had Goran Dragic in the backcourt, and he was clearly blossoming into a future all-star, and he was doing great things in their backcourt for that team. Uh, they also had, um, who the hell else do they also have in that team? They, they still have Eric Bledsoe. So you had Goran Dragic and, Aaron, and Eric Bledsoe, so there was a little bit of a log jam at point guard, but at least you had two of them. And both of them, they'd already give Eric Bledsoe, who was going to be in the backcourt, some good money. Uh, but Gorin wanted to get good money, but it was a little tough with the salary and having all of this logjam of players. So they end up trading for Isaiah Thomas from the Sacramento Kings, and that really mucked with the chemistry because then you sort of pissed off Gorin because Gorin's like, why are you bringing in this other guy? Gorin essentially, you know, flexed his muscles as much as he possibly could to get out of Phoenix. Phoenix trades him to the Miami Heat. So then they focus more of their energy on keeping Eric Bledsoe and Isaiah Thomas. They end up then trading Isaiah Thomas because he's not working out in the backcourt. And this is where this is where chemistry and personality issues really start coming out. They move him. He's now an all-star in Boston. They bring, they bring in Brandon Knight, they end up giving Brandon Knight good money. I believe Brandon Knight was playing on the um, uh, Milwaukee Bucks at the time. Now Brandon Knight has good money. He is not working out nearly as well in their backcourt. Eric Bledsoe has been injured indefinitely. And we can go back to, for those who don't know about it, but I'm sure everybody does, the Phoenix Suns signed Tyson Chandler to a very big contract in the offseason. I think we can all agree that signing Tyson Chandler was actually a fairly big gamble so the Phoenix Suns could lure LaMarcus Aldridge to Phoenix to play with Tyson Chandler and Brandon Knight and Eric Bledsoe in their backcourt. And um, when it didn't work, 
when LaMarcus Aldridge went and signed with the Spurs, the Phoenix Suns were held were left holding the bag with this big Tyson Chandler contract. And Tyson Chandler, listen, he's a great post player. He's had fantastic years in the NBA, but his best years are behind him. And they gave him way more money than anybody else was truly considering giving him. So it put them into a tough spot because now they just spent a lot of money on a post player who's really going to be there to assist and help out with other players who are not on the team. So the LaMarcus Aldridge, the guy that Tyson Chandler was going to be playing off of, isn't there. Uh, So now after all of this dysfunction and after this team losing terribly, I believe their record is 14 and 35 currently. And one of the things I got to highlight is uh, they were swept by my Philadelphia 76ers this season. I think that gives you a clear understanding of, uh, of how unfortunate and really how much of a tailspin this uh, Phoenix Suns franchise is in at the moment. And you really need to look at the leadership. You really need to look at uh, the executives, the general manager, Ryan McDonough, uh, Lon Babby, everybody who's running this team, and all the way up to the owner. These, these are all very questionable decisions. They're all sort of, you know, things that kind of take steps backward for your franchise. I wouldn't want to be a Phoenix Suns fan right now because they have plenty of reason to be looking at their team, to be looking at their coaches, to be looking at all the decision makers, and to really wonder what the hell are they thinking at this moment. And um, at this point in time, I don't even know, have they named an interim coach? Do we know who the interim coach is going to be? Uh, After they fired these two assistants, there's really a sense that... um, uh, there's nobody with any real coaching experience who's on the who's on the coaching staff who can step in for Jeff Hornacek at this point. They brought in Earl Watson, the former basketball player, um, to to work on the bench. He's probably going to be one of the key assistants who's moved in and made. I don't know who's going to get the interim tag right now. I don't think they know either. But it's a real mess in Phoenix, and it's. It's, it's another question of, you know, what warrants the firing of a coach? Is it the performance of your team? Uh, is it the coaching overall? Because, you know, my dad just contacted me the other day. He says, David Blatt fired. Uh, Jeff Hornacek fired. Brett Brown gets a contract extension. And it really gives you pause in the sense of, like, listen, how bad does your team need to be to really get fired? And what the hell does it mean to truly get fired? Because David Blatt was doing everything he probably could have done right and he's still fired. Now, this is a good segue to move me right into the Cavaliers at this moment. I want to talk a little bit about the Cavaliers. They they won a gutsy game last night in Indiana against the Pacers. They won in overtime by five points. And there's a great article all over ESPN really discussing how Teron Liu dealt with the situation. Cleveland had built up a pretty considerable lead in last night's game in Indiana And in the third quarter, they pretty much let the lead deteriorate. They started playing one-on-one. They got away from their game. They went man-to-man, and they started losing the lead. And typically, Teron, you know, typically a coach wants to call timeout and talk about it. And Teron Lou said, you know what? I'm going to pull a little chapter from the book of Phil Jackson, because I played for Phil Jackson and those Lakers teams. I was there. And he said, you know what I did? I sat back, and I let them just flounder a little bit. I let these guys know that I wasn't going to bail them out. I wasn't going to call timeout. I was going to be like, you know what? Your poor play got you into this situation. You guys need to sit there and think a little bit on the game. You guys, I'm not just going to call timeout and say, hey, you're screwing this up. I'm going to let you superstars, you Kyrie Irvings, you Kevin Loves, you LeBron James, figure this out, guys. You guys are going to be winning championships. You're superstars. You want me to treat you like superstars? All right. 
You're losing the game. The lead's disappearing. What do you do? So he let them sweat it out a little bit. And what ended up happening was they, uh, they fought their way back. They tied the game. They went to overtime. And truly in overtime, LeBron and Kyrie really put on a show. And then there was a big three-pointer by Kevin Love. You're really seeing... I think one of the clear differences of Teron Lu stepping in now is you're seeing the improved play of Kevin Love. You're seeing him uh, perform much better from a defensive perspective. You're seeing him fit into the offense much better. And there's already a, a discussion happening with the Teron Lu effect. The idea that as soon as he uh, was announced as head coach and as soon as David Blatt was fired, um, the players had a players-only meeting. Uh, I read the article. I got to give these these guys on ESPN, the Brian Windhorst and the McMenamin, they're really working hard to get these these stories, and I thrive off of them because I want to know what's going on, just like the rest of the the sports fandom. Uh, and they really discussed that in this players only meeting, um, James Jones, the longtime veteran who's played with LeBron for a while, who is a champion, is still on this Cavaliers roster. Granted, he doesn't get many minutes on the court, but he's still on the roster. The GM, David Griffin, approached him and said, I want you to put together a players-only meeting where they all got into the room, and apparently they aired quite a few grievances. Now, who knows what was actually said in this meeting? These articles are leading us to believe that pretty much they aired out some shit. I guess they talked about some stuff, you know. Maybe Kyrie Irving, you know, told LeBron that he was upset that he never got a birthday card on his birthday. I, I don't know. Who knows what the hell these guys talked about. But apparently, they clearly needed to air some grievances. They needed to get their shit out in the open. They needed to talk about it. And they were able to do that. They were able to get some of it there. And I think there was a sense, everyone's saying that once that meeting happened, everybody felt a little bit, uh, they felt a little bit, you know, less uptight. They clearly were holding on to this unspoken, you know, this, this aggression, this, this beef. They all sort of had beef about the fact that they weren't playing well and it wasn't working. And I think that to a degree, David Blatt was definitely a contributing factor. I think he was contributing to this, this, this tension that was living amongst the team. And it sounds as though once they've sort of excised David Blatt from the equation, Teron Liu is a guy who's much more respected, who's much more lauded by the team. Um, he seems to be closer to the team, knows how the NBA functions more, has a, a little bit of a pedigree coming from Phil Jackson. I think there's some respect that goes with that. And whether he's a great coach or not, he clearly has a good sense on how to run this team right now. And that was something that I think David Blatt very clearly did not have. And so right away... Um, since uh, Teron Lewis has taken over the team, I believe they're 5-1. and one. And I believe their first game, they ended up losing. Um, but there was a sense that even after they came out of that loss, I think they lost to the Bulls, um, even after they came out of that loss, there was still a positivity amongst the team that I think they had turned a corner and that the new approach that Teron Lewis was putting on the offensive uh, output of the team, really, the, and the defense as well, was clearly producing results. And everyone seems to be coming out right away now with a more positive sense of how the team is playing, at least from the superstar standpoint, or at least these what these reporters are telling me, they all seem to be happy. I think the most tangible example of how much of a positive influence Teron Liu is having on the team can be, you know, tracked to a degree through Kevin Love's play. Kevin Love is one of is a fantastic basketball player, one of the best in the league, and his play has been marginalized. I mean, I'm just going to say it. I think it was marginalized by David Blatt's coaching. I think that there was some type of element that he could not figure out 
how to truly utilize Kevin Love's strong suits. And now, I think Teron Liu is a little smart enough to know how to fit him in, in some ways, how to get out of his way, and how to and how to give him the shots that he wants. Like Kevin Love shoots from the elbow, and they really hadn't been giving him that shot with Blatt as the coach. And now Teron Liu gives him those opportunities. He's thriving more on an offensive end. Kevin Love's thriving more on a defensive end. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. And they they seem to be happier. They seem to be playing better. And if I was the rest of the league, I'd be a little bit more frightened of the Cavaliers right now because in some ways it seems like they they really have figured something out, and now they're going to be back and better than ever. So, got to be a little scared if, I, if, you, if, you, if you're asking me. Um, anyway, I think that's all I got right now. I had to talk a little bit about uh, the Suns firing the coach and the Cavs play improving. Subscribe to me on iTunes. Subscribe to me on Stitcher. Uh, follow me at SmithFaceJones on Twitter. Email me at samsportsstation at gmail.com. Oh, and uh, follow me on SoundCloud. All of my podcasts are actually hosted on SoundCloud. I just feed them to iTunes and Stitcher, but it's all at SoundCloud. Go to SoundCloud. Subscribe to me on SoundCloud. Follow me there. Would love to hear some more comments and feedback from uh, from everyone out there listening. Um, but we'll be back soon. We'll be talking more football, more basketball. Take it easy. Bye-bye, guys.